Welcome, everybody, to the Patrick and Adam Hour. We don't have a title for our podcast yet, and this is our first go at it. So uh, I am your host, Patrick Hayes, and my co-host, Adam Hutchison, is here with me. And tonight we are going to be talking about, is somebody saved if you don't see fruit? So, Adam, tell me, what made you think of this topic? Um, I, I guess what made me think of this topic is I've just seen so many, talked to so many different people about that they uh, base their evidence uh, on somebody that's not saved, and they, they, they basically are looking at everyone and deciding whether or not somebody is or isn't saved. And, and to me, that's not really up to them. And so uh, I've kind of had different arguments and different thoughts on that. And uh, also the, the idea of somebody that just freshly gets saved and they're examining their works and uh, they don't believe it's authentic. So you really have two ideas there. One is there's this person that says they're saved and because of the fruit that I do or do not see, I'm wondering if they're saved. And then you also might have the new Christian who looks at themselves in a mirror Mm -hmm. and they're wondering if they're saved. And what you're saying is they're basing it on... Really, what we're talking about is they're basing it on the works they do after they receive Jesus as your as their Savior. So these people, and, and really this is my question, are you saying that all the folks we're talking about had a time where they learned about the Bible, they learned that they were a sinner, they understood who Jesus is, he is God, and that he died on the cross to uh, give, make a way for us to go to heaven and then they had a time where they received that. Maybe they did something like, you know, they prayed and they asked Jesus to save them. They believe he is God. You know, I guess what people would call the sinner's prayer. And then after that, they look at themselves and they're like, man, I wonder if it took. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, and then also speaking, you know, the, the the person that maybe doesn't have that full background mm-hmm. and where... Uh, Maybe they sat through a church service. Maybe they saw somebody that came along and then gave them a glimpse of uh, what the Bible says, and they they basically had a moment where they called on God. Maybe they were even young, mm-hmm. and uh, you know their their knowledge and understanding of the Word was very basic, and they called upon God. And uh, so, and then from then on, they maybe never had a time where they were uh, you know spent any time in church. And then they went on their way, and then. So then they're struggling with this idea, am, am I saved, am I not saved? Mm-hmm. And uh, do I believe what the guy told me uh, that I met six, seven years ago, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, so let me ask you this. Have you ever had a situation where you came across someone like that and you were talking to them about the Bible and your goal was to give them the gospel in hopes that they would get saved and they gave you a testimony about that where it was like, well, you know, I was at church and I did this thing and it was, you know, whatever, 15 or 20 years ago and I haven't really been in church much, you know. Okay, so what's your response to that? How do you usually play that? So we're... Well, what I normally would do uh, is I would say, well, let me just break it down to you the way that I do. And uh, if by the end of it, you Mm -hmm. think, hey, I did that Mm -hmm. and I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I would say, okay, well, hey, you you must be saved then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what I would think immediately after that is, hey, let's let's begin your your education Mm -hmm. on now. What 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 does God want you to do from here forward? Yeah. You know, uh, because really salvation being a one time event and uh, a lot of people 
uh, are, are a lot of different religions out there, different faiths, even the, you know, a lot of uh, Christian, uh, a lot of movements within the Christian faith are uh, making it out to where somebody now has to maintain this uh, certain behavior. Mm-hmm. And so there's this confusion of, uh, you know, I, I sinned yesterday. Now what? You know, I just messed up. I just, you know, so now I'm going to hell, you know, now I'm I no longer have Jesus with me. And so there's this really this big confusion. So let me go back to what you're saying and, and uh, tell me what you think of this. Cause what, I mean, you and I have are both a couple of guys that hope we can run into people that'll allow us to give them the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. you know, nothing makes us happier than meeting someone that will give us the opportunity to open up the Bible and explain, you know, heaven and hell, who Jesus is, you know, their a sinner's need for salvation mm-hmm. and go through the whole process and, and, and help them or lead them to Christ, so to speak. We want people to be born again. So, <clears throat> so you and I are coming from that, from that point. So when I run into somebody that has those doubts and they tell me their testimony and their testimony happens to be, this is what I did. It was 20 years ago. Maybe I was 12 years old or maybe, you know, or maybe I was 20 years old, but it's been so long and I have, you know, haven't been to church since, haven't read the Bible, all this stuff, but they give me a gospel testimony where I'm like, well, I can't really argue with that. What I usually tell them, and, th- and I want your opinion on this, I usually tell them, well, from what it sounds like, <clears throat> sounds like you understood it and you did what you needed to do and you believed what you needed to believe and you probably are saved. Mm-hmm. But since you are doubting it and you're concerned, yeah. would you want to pray with me right now just to be safe? I'm not saying that you are not saved because mm-hmm. it sounds like what you did is you understood the gospel very clearly. You called upon the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans 10, 13, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it sounds like you're saved, but because you're doubting it and it's been so long, you know, would you feel comfortable getting on your knees with me right now and we'll pray and we'll just kind of... Absolutely. You know. And I've done that. I've done that with lots of people and uh, help, help uh, basically reintroduce them again to what it really means to be saved. And, yeah. and and I think that that's what I, as later on in life, I became more educated of the word of God. I think uh, that's what I found is that, um, boy, oh boy, I guess I was saved a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't realize it. Um, I was a little kid that, uh, that raised his hand every single church service and felt as if I wasn't saved because I went home and I uh, took some extra cookies out of the cookie jar. You yeah. know, I, I disobeyed my mom. I, I didn't clean my room. I got punished for doing whatever. And and I just felt like this, uh, this swing of I'm saved, I'm not saved based on my behaviors. And uh, even though um, every week I called on the name of the Lord, and I, I just felt as if, uh, you know, whoever was explaining it to me as a child, that it wasn't very clear. And they didn't reassure me on the, the simple idea that I can't lose it. And, and I, I was doing nothing to gain it, and um, I can do nothing to lose it. And it wasn't until later in life, well, as I read the Word, I started reading the Word, and, and as I had it more clearly explained to me, and uh, now it's like, wow, I'm really solid in that. I can be reassured, and I can know that I, I am saved, and and uh, there's some truths wrapped behind uh, all around that, and lots of it, lots of truth. Uh, so then, I, then looking back, on it from uh, as an adult, 
and and then still, like I said, as an adult, uh, as a kid, I, I you know raised my hand every single church service, and then as an adult, uh, still having doubts, raising my hand, uh, and going through it again, going through it by myself, and even four or five years ago, uh, at a point to where it's like, hey, you know what, I need to humble myself here, and uh, the truth is, is if I'm not saved. Uh, I want to be saved and I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to have my pride getting in the way of that. My experience that I had one time as a kid um, um, is now going to, I, I'm going to ride that one all the way to hell. I want to make sure of this. And that's for sure. That's why it says in the word to work out your own salvation. And it's important that we humble ourselves no matter what, and just make sure that that's, that's solid between uh, God and yourself, you know? So, <clears throat> Something I was thinking about that that you mentioned is, as a kid, you, let's say, uh, let, let's call it the altar call. Okay, mm-hmm. let's say you yeah. were in a church that kind of had an altar call every week. Okay, we've both been to churches like that, and you were the kid that would raise their hand about every week. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> something that brings up for me is, how do I want to treat the Christian that raises their hand every week? And for me kind of the way what you explained was maybe a little bit of information needed to be given as far as better explaining that salvation there's no shelf life on salvation sure right like you and uh <clears throat> it talks about that after you're saved you're you're going to be a sinner that doesn't that doesn't change until we get our new glorified bodies one day when the lord raptures us and takes us home we're going to be tempted with sin and we're going to sin but that doesn't mean we lose our salvation that just means we need to get right with god mm-hmm. now with that cuz i've this is the way i've always played it and and i'm talking about my kids because out of my six kids five of them I've had the pleasure of leading to the Lord and they've gotten saved. And out of the five of them, I've had to go over it again with three of them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'll explain it again and try to do a better job of explaining it better and fill in the blanks of maybe what I didn't go over and what they're missing. But I'm the guy where at the same time, I'm like, Hey, you're concerned? Let's do it right now. Yep. yep. You know, six months later, hey, Dad, I'm a little concerned about my salvation. Hey, buddy, no problem. Let's talk about it. We'll go over it. Do you understand it all? And they do. They they didn't forget it. I'm like, hey, let's just take care of it again. No big deal. And for me, I've always kind of had the thought of, I'm going to do the best I can to explain it. I'm going to do the best I can to answer their questions. But I'm never going to be the guy to tell someone, oh, you don't need to do that. You've already taken care of it. Yeah. For me, it's like, hey, what, you know, every day if you need. It might be time-consuming, and it might start to get old after a while. But, hey, let's just do it, and then we're hoping and praying that God will help you learn and understand, you know, the rest of the Bible and the idea of eternal security, you know, as we go. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, you know, what are you going to well, do? I, I think that the it, you, you said it, the eternal security conversation is mm-hmm. so important because I feel like kids are young adults, adults, they live in this fear bubble of, you know, what if I mess up? What if I mess up? And I mean, that's a, that's a, a terrible place to be. Um, I know, uh, even my own brother, uh, at one time was taught that, I mean, and he lived in fear of 
just constantly thinking that, oh my goodness, you know, I sinned again. And he just fought that battle as an adult. And it's a, it's a devastating place to be in um, because that's not the freedom that God explains in his word. It's so important that we, we know this freedom. And it's so important that you feel that as uh, no different than the idea that, hey, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm a United States citizen and I have freedoms and they're no matter what I have these freedoms. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like I've heard, heard it said, well, that's a free pass mm-hmm. and you, you have this now. Oh, so what you're saying is, you know, God saved your soul and you could just run around and sin all you want. And, uh, you know, and he'll just take you to heaven. Well, the truth is, is you were running around and sinning all you want, whether or not he's taking you to heaven or not. Everybody's sure. doing that, yeah. you know? And uh, it's not a free pass. Um, I, I've, I've looked at it like this in the past, and it's like, uh, I love my kids not because the government told me to. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the government has a minimal law and rule when it comes down to you need to take care of your kids and you can't neglect your kids. Um, but I'm going to exceed that and I'm going to love them. I mean, it doesn't say uh, in the law that I have to give them hugs and kisses and, and uh, be there for when they get hurt and, and, and uh, comfort them and, and to encourage them and teach them and pour my whole heart into them. It doesn't say that in, in the law. Uh, the law is just comes down to some simple, you know, take care of them. Sure, feed them, clothe them, educate them, medical assistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simple necessity. Yeah, right? not much above a dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go above and beyond because I get to, mm-hmm. because I want to, because I love them. And um, I think that that's the way that it, that it works too, is I want to obey God and because I love God and uh, because he saved my soul, because I am free and because I can I can go about my business with knowing that my father has my back and uh that i'm solid in him and it's a it's a different mindset than uh, than just a fear mindset of uh if i mess up if i mess up you know uh that's a that's a terrible feeling like oh my goodness if i mess up my father is no longer going to be my dad yep if i make a mistake Mm -hmm. you know uh he was my dad yesterday but today i messed up and now he's not my dad and if you think about that, that is completely contrary to the way God set it up between you and your kids and me and my kids. Once they are our children, they're our children forever. What, yeah. You know, they can move far away, change their name, dye their hair. Doesn't matter. They're our kids. Mm-hmm. They were born of us, period. That no, They get no choice in that. They're now our kids. They're our kids forever. They might be disobedient kids. Yep. They might be terribly disobedient kids, but they're still our kids. So <clears throat> without getting off uh, completely on the tangent of eternal security, which we can come back to and talk about another time, let's talk about that subject we started with, which is what if I don't see fruit? Got it. So can I go over a little bit of Bible here and you tell me what you think? That Whenever someone asks me about this, I always bring them to John chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Okay, go to John chapter 15, and I'm going to bring up, we're going to read through, I don't know, maybe seven, eight verses. In John chapter 15, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Or, sorry, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, 
and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So who is the vine? God is the vine. Specifically? The Father. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is the vine. <clears throat> Father is the husband. Father, I got you. Yeah. yeah. That's so, the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> All right, so now off of this vine, you have branches. You have branches that grow off of this vine, which mm-hmm. is Jesus. And now I stopped in verse 2. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now, this far into this scripture, and I'm going to have a question for you. There are three levels of fruit production in those five verses. Can you tell me what those three levels of fruit production are? Two are listed in verse two. One is listed in verse five. So we have, uh, I would say, the fruitless Christian. Uh We have the more fruit and we have much fruit. You got it. So you have the Christian in verse two, it says every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Mm -hmm. So the thing that people always skip over is that that branch is in Jesus and it's not bearing any fruit. And people always seem to skip over that and try to get around it because the doctrine that people teach where you have to see fruit and you have to see an amount of fruit and the type of fruit that they want to see, it messes up the simplicity, which is in Christ. Now, do we expect a Christian to bear fruit at some point in their life? Hey, let's, uh, let's pause for one second. Yeah. Uh, if we talk about what is fruit to begin with? Okay. Because I think that we're kind of jumping right ahead. There might be a lot of people sitting here. What does that even mean? Okay, good. So tell me what you think of when we're talking about a Christian bearing fruit. Tell me what you think. See, I think that, well, I mean, we could go into the fruits of the Spirit, but even that might complicate things. But I think somebody that uh, does uh, godly things or shows the attributes of, of Jesus, and, uh, and you know, to, to sum those up, um, um, it would be the fruits of the Spirit. But uh, I think that when somebody thinks of somebody not bearing fruit, uh, they would think that that is somebody that's running amok in their life, and they're just... Uh, not living a godly life whatsoever in simplicity of they're just um, not making uh, Christ their Lord of their life and that they're running around just carelessly living and uh, not obeying God. Uh, The fruits of the Spirit, uh, so the one that is bearing fruit, I would think it would be the fruits of the Spirit, and that is to, to show love. So let's, let's turn to that. <clears throat> We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and I'm already there in my Bible, and I'll just read this uh, quickly. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you go on down, <clears throat> and you get to verse 22, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. 
And I've heard people say, well, you know, that person doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit in their life, and therefore they're not saved. Okay, usually when I hear someone say that, they're basically judging the person based on one bad day, right? We saw the person act like a worldly person without any attributes of Christ in their life. They did something foolish, and therefore we say, well, that person didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. They're not saved. You got it. Uh, and then looking at verse 16, uh, chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then it goes into the fruits of the flesh. So uh, so if we go on, look, let's look at that. So we got... Uh, in verse, verse 19, I think, yep, is where so it picks it up. All the way to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but what I, if we back up to the, uh, this I say, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, Two, we're talking about two things here. We're talking yeah. about our um, spirit, mm -hmm. you know, or to walk in God's spirit and or to walk in the flesh. So there are two different paths that we can be on and you can still be saved and uh, walk in the flesh. Yeah, as a matter of fact, what he's saying right here is that if you walk in the spirit, Paul is commanding them saying, look, Walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You got it. Well, what does that mean? That means that any Christian who is not putting in the effort to walk in the spirit is going to, by default, fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And people have this idea that once you get saved, a switch is flipped and it's all spirit and no flesh. And it's like, who on earth are you, buddy? Yep. Like, who honestly thinks that they get saved and they're not going to sin and they're not going to be tempted to sin and there's going to be no flesh at all and it's all going to be spirit? We're talking about Moses on the mountaintop. You know, that I don't know about you, but I've had some great mountaintop experiences, but that's exactly what they were. They were a mountaintop experience, and then you got to come back down. You got it. And so it's it's a constant battle to uh, to really get back with 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 Jesus and be close to him and have that close relationship with him. And it's not like, Oh, today I walked in the flesh. Well, uh, I've, I've even heard people say that they don't sin. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's really like, are you, you fool? Now I can see somebody saying that I am not under the penalty of sin. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I am not responsible for the penalty of whatever I have done. Uh, so that's the free pass that everyone talks about. But yet I've heard people say that I, I haven't sinned this week. And it's like, you fool. Uh, have you really looked at what the law says? And basically the law in, in itself is pointing to that nobody can wiggle through the cracks, that everybody's guilty of it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, so there's no way out. No matter what, we're all struggling with this. The, the idea of sin and obeying what God says. 
You know, when we go through, okay, so I'm going to bring us to another verse here, but I'm going to ask you the question, and this is found in 2 Corinthians 10 for anyone that wants to turn there. What does Paul relate the flesh versus the spirit? So in your life, you have the flesh, you have the spirit, they're at odds with one another. What word does he use to describe that struggle? Okay, in 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, no, I messed that up totally. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Okay, Paul actually uses this several times to explain the battle the Christian goes through when you're dealing with the flesh versus the spirit. He says it's a war. Mm-hmm. And the Christian that thinks like, oh, yeah, I don't sin anymore. Or, you know, anyone that does sin isn't saved. It's like, well, you're kind Yeah, I mean, Paul described it completely differently than they're talking about. Paul said it's going to be a war. It's going to be a battle. He talks about swords and shields and, you know, killing these things because they're constantly attacking you. Yeah. That sounds very different than, oh, I got saved. I flipped a switch. I don't sin anymore. I don't get tempted by sin anymore. That wasn't what Paul was going through. I think the other thing people do too is a lot of times Christians will, uh, they'll put on the suit and tie. uh, They'll learn how to clean up their mouth. And they'll learn how to talk the lingo and walk the walk. And when everyone else is looking, they're always doing right. Uh, and, and those are the outward sins. So we have the, the sins of the, uh, the, the spirit and we have the sins of the... So we have outward sins and inward sins. Sure. And often Christians uh, um, can clearly demonstrate to everyone else around them. They know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. And, it's, and they, they can kind of hide their sin in a sense. Uh, but... But really, when we talk about inward sins and the, the sins of the spirit, uh, you know, that then we're talking about anger. We're talking about uh, jealousy. Yeah. Covetousness. Pride. Yep. You know, all of these things. Yeah. It's like these are things that people can't see. And uh, but yet, if you're struggling with that inside, which, you know, we, we're all going through Lust. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can fake everyone out. And, and that is the, the lie that's being taught out there is that I'm not going through that. And the one good thing is that we're free and we don't have to suffer in that and that we have a savior and we have somebody that's with us and that's for us and that's constantly moving us in the right direction back to center. But the idea that, that, uh, people are walking around free of sin, it's, it's not true. No, it's ridiculous. And it goes over against so much of the Bible. Okay. So now one of my favorite, kind of ideas that describes this is Romans chapter 7. And I mean, I could read the whole thing, but uh, let me just say quickly, because Adam and I are just starting this podcast. This is literally episode one, and we're just testing out the equipment. So hopefully we're going to be recording a lot of these. You're going to be hearing from us a bunch. And and I want to just kind of go on record on this first episode and say, our goal is more than anything, to get people to do their own homework and open up their own Bible and read these verses and look into it on their own so that they can form their own conclusions. Um, My goal is not to get everyone to believe exactly as I do. My goal is to get everyone to open their Bible and do their own research. So here, and I I would hope that everyone would open up Romans chapter 7 and read the whole chapter as I'm just going to briefly go over the idea here. 
Paul, in this whole chapter, explains what he is going through. And what he says is, I know what's right. I know what God wants me to do. And I want to do what God wants me to do. And I don't do it. And then he goes on and he defines the opposite. He says, I know what's wrong. I know what God thinks is wrong. I know what God does not want me to do. And I don't want to do it. And I do it all the time. And then at the end of it, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the following verse is the great one. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul says, even though I know what's right and I want to do right and God wants me to do right and I know what God wants me to do, I still end up doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And even though I know what wrong is and I know what God doesn't want me to do and I don't want to do it, I keep it, I end up doing it. And Paul was one of the, I mean, can we, is it fair to say that Paul was one of the more effective, greatest Christians we've ever read about? I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. He brought the gospel all around the world. He started churches everywhere. I mean, Paul... Paul was amazing. Mm-hmm. When you read through the book of Acts and you read all of the uh, uh, um, epistles of Paul, and Paul constantly struggled with sin. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. So if Paul is doing this, why on earth would I think that I can somehow be uh, walk a perfect, straight, and narrow life without stumbling? It's, it's, I think, too, it's a, it's a lie from Satan. I think that Satan wants to, you know, Christians to be prideful. And he wants you to, to run around and think that you are, you know, on another level. And you're high and mighty. And because you have this uh, this badge on your chest, uh, this big cross, and you're letting... And in a sense, it's pharisaical. And and what, what Satan's getting you to do is to get puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up. And he wants you to be filled with pride and think you're on another level. And what it really does is it discourages other people from coming to Christ and recognizing, because I mean, really what you're doing when you're walking around like that, you're painting a picture for people that's unattainable and and saying that I can't ever be like that. Yep. Yeah. It it really is counterproductive. And honestly, Adam, I mean, let's face it. Every time I've run into that person that tries to never let anyone see any shortcomings or failings in their life that they are, you know, kind of holier than thou. And every time I run into that, I'm like, that is just a big phony. Mm-hmm. That is Mr. Phony Baloney. He is just being a fake. And I don't trust them anymore. Yeah. I, I'm like, give me a break. You're a human just like me. Yeah. I understand that when we're out in public, we try to put on a good face and we try to do our best right? And that's going to be a little bit different than, you know, when we're home and our kid, you know, decides to throw the football across the room and knock over the vase full of flowers we just bought for our wife. And they're going to hear about it. And where if they did it in public, maybe I'd wait to get them home before I yelled and screamed at them like a child. But when people put on that facade, I see it as counterproductive. I think that is uh, one of the worst things we can do because we're we're training everyone to think that you ought to look and act perfectly all the time as a Christian. And it's like, who is able to do that? No one. And even Jesus himself, if the Pharisees walked around and they were the people of the day that had the Old Testament memorized, uh, they 
everybody esteemed them and lift them up higher than everyone else and thought, man, these are holy men. They don't do anything wrong. Look at them. And uh, Jesus said that you you must be greater than the the Pharisees in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Yep. And uh, he he used them as a as a, you know was able to bounce that one thought off of them because everyone thought that they were great and you needed to be greater than them. So the idea that you can't, you aren't good enough. You're just not good enough to get there. He called them whited sepulchers because on the outside they were looked really great, but deep down inside, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew their deepest, darkest sins. Yep. And he knew the truth. Full of dead men's bones. Yep. And the fact is, the Pharisees were no better than all the rest of the people. We all have the... See, and this is what people don't understand. People think that they misunderstand what you just explained. Everyone has those dead men's bones inside. Yes. What, What? Okay, Adam, what does God say about your heart? What does God say about your righteousness as a Christian? It's just filthy rags. Filthy rags. Okay? That is the best we have to offer. And God says about our heart is it is deceitful above all things who can know it. Yep. That is the best I will ever have to offer. And I think the people that try to put on that shiny face and think that they never sin and that they're going to go to heaven because not only did they get saved by Jesus, but they maintain that salvation through these good works and the, you know, and, and they never sin and therefore they're going to enter into the kingdom of God. It's like, who do you think you are? Your righteousness are as filthy rags. Okay. So I'm not going to get, I'm not going to define that and get into that. If anyone wants to look that up and understand what that means, but let's just take a shop rag. Okay. So you have rags in your truck and you break down on the side of the road and you use the rag to clean off the dipstick and wipe your hands off when it gets full of grease. Those rags are only good for so long. Once they are full of grease and, you know, slime and garbage, can you use them anymore? Can you even clean them? No, you just throw them out and you get more rags. They're literally good for absolutely nothing. That's what we're talking about. Okay, it's a filthy rag that has no purpose whatsoever. All you can do is just throw it out and get another one. It's nothing anyone wants to touch. It's it's worthless. And I think that's what God is trying to explain to us is that the very best we have to offer are those filthy rags. That's right. It's It's garbage. Uh, if we were to jump back to the the, the start uh, where we kind of detoured there a little bit, where you started, you brought up Galatians five. We talked about the the fruits of the spirit, and uh, and the idea of is are you saved if you don't have fruit? Um, the truth is, is what is fruit? So we started to establish what fruit is, and it's important to understand what fruit is, and you know. In a nutshell, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, uh, temperance, faith. Uh, but why Why would somebody have fruit? Or I guess the question really is, is Patrick, uh, um, if we were talking about planting something and we were talking about a garden and you were to take and plant seeds, how long uh, would you expect to have fruit off of something that you just recently planted? Well, and I can tell you because Adam and I live out in western Colorado, and in this area, we have a thriving peach orchard industry. There's tons of peach orchards out here, and we're kind of famous for our peaches out here. And I can tell you that when you plant a little sapling in the ground, as far as a peach tree, you're not going to expect any fruit off that tree for, I want to say, no less than three years. 
It's going to take three years of that tree establishing its roots and growing and getting bigger and stronger before it starts to bud and give you any fruit, let alone enough fruit, you know, to do something with. Wow. And, and in my mind, I was thinking that it would be way longer than three years. Yeah. With a peach. You yeah. Know, that from seed. I'm, I'm thinking. Well, and, and not seed. What I'm thinking is the little saplings. I, I think you. they put them in the ground. They're like a foot tall or a yeah, foot yeah. and a half tall. They're still very young. But if we were to start at a seed, yeah. even the thought of that when you receive the word, the sure. word is like the seed. Yeah, okay. So add another year or two, right? Okay. So we're really talking. The, the point is you don't put a seed in the ground and go out there the next day and pick a peach. No. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly... Yep. The, the idea that Jesus is using in his analogy yep. is that the fruit doesn't, I mean, anyone that has ever had a garden knows that you don't put a seed in the ground and pick a tomato the next day. It exactly. takes time. So the the other thought on, on fruit is who is the fruit for? Because uh, realistically, you know, people want evidence unto themselves of whether or not they're saved. So they look at their own works and they start to say, am I saved or not based on this fruit that I see? Or is this other person saved whether on uh, on this, this fruit that I see? So who's the fruit for, Patrick? Okay, so <clears throat> fruit production. So, uh, I mean, I would say that everybody in my life is going to benefit from the fruit in my life. But really... The, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm thinking the fruit is really for those around me. The fruit is for um, my wife and my kids, because let's face it, they benefit when the fruit of the Spirit is in my life, okay? It. And then the fruit is also for uh, all of my friends, my family, and lost people that I run into, because let's face it, it's easier to receive something from somebody who has those attributes of love, joy, peace, rather than someone who is, a, you know, acting out on the fruits of the flesh. So really, I would say the fruit is for uh, those around us. What Absolutely. Am I totally that's, off there? No, that's the thought, is if I were a tree and I had my arms sticking out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And I got fruit that's growing off of You're it. You're not the one eating I it. I can't eat it. Yep. Yeah, it just I get... falls off all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry. I'm looking over. It's like, boy, that's a good-looking good peach out there. But yep. it's for others that are walking by and they mm -hmm. see it. And uh, the interesting thought is that they can grab that fruit, and the whole reason why they want it is because they want that love, they want that joy, that peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, all those different attributes of the Spirit. They see it, they want it, and they eat the fruit. And the, the neat thought on that is what's inside the fruit. Well, what's going to be inside the fruit, and this is the way I think you're going, uh, you have more seeds. It's able to reproduce. It's it. able to replicate. Yep, and, and when God talks about the seed, the seed is the word. Yep. And, and the word is, so what it is, is that people don't want the word without the fruit. That's the reason why, the whole reason why Jesus is filling your heart. And he wants to give you these attributes. And Jesus is trying to manifest himself outwardly through your flesh and walk around in your fleshly body. And he has every desire to take over and help you live a fruitful, productive life in him. And boy, is it so beneficial for everyone else around you that can take some of that fruit and use some of that fruit. And inside of that fruit is the word and, it's, and it makes it palatable. Uh, for other people to eat and to take in. Uh, the, the facts are is people don't want to hear uh, from the Pharisees. They don't want to hear from 
somebody who's walking around high and mighty, you know, uh, people want to deal with loving people, you know, you know, that makes me think, why was Jesus so popular? Because the Pharisees were always the guys that were not only trying, they were not white, they were not only whitewashed sepulchers. So they were trying to look like there was, everything was great and there was nothing wrong. They were also the guys that were coming down on everyone, giving them a hard time. Whereas Jesus was dealing with the person, he was going up to everyone, he was healing people, he was loving people, he was teaching people, and he was he was serious, he was teaching people with authority. I mean, Jesus did not give soft, easy messages to take. Jesus was very straightforward, he corrected the wrongs that were going around in the days, but everyone flooded to Jesus, and the Pharisees were always looking around like, where's the crowd? Oh, they're with this guy over here. That's really the greatest reason why they killed him, is they were jealous of him. They envied Jesus. I feel like the very sin that put Jesus on the cross was envy, is that the Pharisees wanted what he had. And and how do they get it? And uh, they, they couldn't figure out why everyone gravitated to, to, to Jesus. But really, Jesus loved people. Jesus took care of people. Jesus was straightforward with people. And what happened was people... People wanted what he had. He earned the right to tell them the truth. He didn't just run around with a bunch of rules, yep. banging everyone over the head with the Bible. He he showed the attributes of God in, in, in himself, all the attributes of God. He he was God in the flesh. And and boy oh boy, it was it was probably a lovely sight to see. I know what I read in the Bible is pretty amazing. And I could only have imagined uh, sitting there staring at somebody that was delivering a message like that. And uh, boy, it'd make me want to change. You know, you said something interesting. You said Jesus earned the right. And it's kind of funny because realistically, I mean, let's face it, like he was God. I mean, he could have just told anyone whatever he wanted. But the fact was people were lining up to listen to this guy teach. I mean, literally, when we read through the Bible, we're Mm -hmm. talking about crowds of thousands of people to the point where Jesus was being overwhelmed and sometimes had to go get in a boat to get away from the people or he had to climb up on a hill to make sure everyone could hear him. I mean, when we read about in the Bible, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people. But what you said is true and, and it shows me that I need to earn the right to tell people what the Bible says. And, and if you think about it, people will listen to me when they allow me to influence them. Mm-hmm. When I show the fruit of the Spirit and people believe that I do care about them and I do love them, all of a sudden, guess what? They are willing to listen and to allow me to help them. And that, I think, is why the Bible talks so much about loving one another and that you know, that act of kindness, the act of love never fails. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's good. I, I, I remember going around, we call it soul winning. And really mm-hmm. what it is, is giving the gospel presentation. They, the gospel is the good news. And uh, I would go around and sometimes I would get people saved. And I, you know, I would get people, uh, it was a, lo- a lot of people and some, there were very many that didn't. And and uh, a lot received it. But then the hard part for me was, is to get people to follow Jesus after that. Uh, that. I really found that to be difficult. And 
I'd asked a guy one time who I felt like had some wisdom and he gave me a profound answer. And that's what he told me. He said that, uh, um, we run around getting a bunch of people saved. And he said that they see you as disingenuine and they, they don't want to follow you after that to, to, to get teaching from you because you haven't earned the right to tell them the truth because, you know, they're seeing it as in getting a, you know, I guess what it is is that you haven't really tried to be their friend first. That's probably one thing I see that there's a lot of different false religions out there that they're doing and they specialize in and they, they, uh, you know, the Mormons and, uh, the, the Hobus witnesses, they'll come over and they'll, they'll be your friend. They'll invite you to lots of events and until, yep. And that's what they're doing. They're sucking you into that friendship world. And uh, then they, they tell you a bunch of lies. And, but that is, that's the other trap too. The other trap is, oh my goodness, if I were to ever walk away from this, I'm going to lose all my friends. Mm -hmm. And there's a trap there. And not only that, they actually talk about it where they're going to shun you and they're going to hate you. And so it's like, man, I better stay on board. I better do whatever they want me to do, uh, you know, and walk with these Pharisees because, uh, um, if I don't, I'm going to lose, they're going to, I'm going to lose them. Yep. Well, and it's funny because you read that a couple times in the Bible where it says that many of the Pharisees believed on him, or, or I'm sorry, it says many of the people believed on him, talking about Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, mm -hmm. okay, they were not willing to admit it. And it actually talks about in the New Testament how the Pharisees said they would kick them out yep. of the synagogue and not let their families come and worship God on Saturdays with them because if they were to follow Jesus. And that is the exact reason, too. You got a lot of Catholics out there that will do the same thing, and they just have this fear of rejection within their faith. Uh, they, you know, the, the whole family is stuck in this religion, in this cycle of constantly, you know, going through these religious things. And if they were to, to let anyone know that they believe something different. So one thing, it's funny too, because Catholics often, when you tell them what the word says and you show them in the Bible, they're very quick to get saved. But what they're not quick to do is to walk away from their religion. And um, that's a tough thing right there. Um, you know, often in the, in the old, it's all through the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, you have people that got baptized and... Uh, they got saved, and then directly afterwards they would get baptized. Uh, the salvation part was the part where nobody was watching. Uh, nobody really saw it. it was an inward thing. Usually it's a small conversation be between whomever. It wasn't like the clouds opened up and doves came down and there were butterflies everywhere. It was really just this <laughs> conversation that happened, and somebody called upon God, and they got saved. No, nothing magical happened there. Um, it was something internal that happened that God saved their soul. Um but what you have here is you have, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's a good segue to try to bring it back around to what we're talking about in the beginning, which was, is somebody saved if they don't show fruit? And you're talking about the, the two ways people look at it. Some people think when I get saved, there should be, the sky's opening up and the dove descending down upon me like when Jesus get baptized and I should have this feeling and all these different things. And the fact is the Bible doesn't say that any of that's going to take place. Mm -hmm. Now, some people have a little more of a mountaintop experience, mm -hmm. okay? And some people experience God in big ways later on, but it never says 
that we are going to have this amazing rush and there's going to be the, like in uh, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where we hear the rushing mighty wind and we see these miraculous things. Can that happen? Sure. But the Bible doesn't say that that's what's going to happen. And the problem is, I think a lot of people are expecting that upon salvation. And then they're also incorrectly thinking that I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to be tempted by sin again. And then a couple weeks later, they're like, man, did this thing really take, or did I not say the magic words properly? Mm -hmm. You know, which, which really. So that's why I liked uh, the thought of baptism and uh, often people would get saved and directly after they would follow in baptism. But what it did was it let everybody else know around them that they were no longer what they were, and they were something different now. And so, you know, by taking a stand like that, uh, they were rejected because of their faith. And really, that's what they were saying: is I believe in Jesus now. And it's a so much, uh, so much of a bigger thing in these other countries to step up and and say that I'm a believer in Jesus and actually take the step of baptism. We all flippantly here in the United States, uh, you know, it's like big whipty doodah. You went and jumped in the water. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. You know? And uh, in another country, heck, I mean, you could be. Uh, have your family killed for it. You might be uh, risking your own life. You and, got it. Yep. You might be excommunicated deal. from your town. And I mean, there are, I, I've heard uh, missionaries and friends in other countries tell me that Patrick, when someone gets saved, if they get baptized publicly and every fine, everyone finds out their family will excommunicate them that, you know, or they will shun them. Their church will excommunicate them. They could get fired from their job because yep. they turned against the religion that the whole city has. They, they kind of have them on lockdown and it's like, it's it's a way big deal for for people to do this. So let me ask you: uh, we are we're, we're running down to the last couple minutes of our hour here. Can I finish the little bit in uh, John chapter fifteen where we were talking about the different levels of fruit? Absolutely. And then what I want to do too is I want to clean up on one spot that I take people to uh, when I I can see that they're struggling uh, with their security or what happens with the simple the question is. What if I sin? Sure. What if I sin afterwards? Uh, I get saved and, you know, now what? Yeah. So, yeah, let go down. Okay, let me jump in here and you look up the verses that you want to you wanna add here. So we ended up talking about there are three levels of fruit production. There's a Christian in Jesus that doesn't bear fruit. There's one that bears fruit and there's one that bears much fruit. Then it talks about in verse six, it says, if a man abide not in me. So we're, see, that's the, difference. You're abiding in Christ and there's three levels of fruit, no fruit, fruit, and much fruit. Then there are the people that abide not in Christ. And it says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So that's the difference. It's not about the amount of fruit because what you find is that Christians, as they grow, are going to move from bearing no fruit to bearing fruit to hopefully bearing much fruit. But it's very different from the branches that are not in Christ. And what happens to them? They are cast into the fire. And that's the big difference. And there's one more point I want to make, and I'm not going to turn to the scripture and, and read this for another you know, five minutes because I want to turn this over to you. I'm excited to hear the scripture you have for us. We also read about a tree that is not bearing fruit 
in a parable from Jesus. And what does he tell him to do? He says, well, we're going to dig around it. We're going to fertilize it. We're going to water it. We're going to prune it. We're going to do everything we can to try to get this tree to, to produce fruit. And what happens if it doesn't produce fruit and it's just totally unwilling to produce fruit? Jesus says, then what we're going to do is we're going to pull that tree up and we're going to plant a different tree in its place. And, and this is talking about an unpopular topic in Christianity, which is sometimes what the Lord does is he just brings you home because you're just not willing Okay, to have a soft heart and go along with what the Lord has as far as a plan for you. You're not willing to walk in the Spirit. You're not willing to um, uh, uh, spread around uh, the love of God, and you're not willing to uh, do God's will. And the Lord says, you know what? We've tried everything we can, and we're just going to bring you home. And those Boy. people don't end up in hell. They go to heaven. But they give that place to another tree, and they say, we tried everything, it's time for another tree. Because you've got to remember, God has a plan for you, and God has something he wants you to do. And if you're just going to fight against it, and you're not going to do it, they say, okay, we tried our best, we're going to have someone else do it. I think we found next week's topic. I really like that, and we could jump into some different spots within that and really dive in. Here, let me go back to this on... Uh... Uh, where I'm at here is in First John chapter two verse one, and this is when I when I deal with somebody that's freshly saved, and then they're really struggling with their security, and they're really struggling with the idea of am I am I saved? And well, hey, I sinned yesterday, or I, I you know next week I meet up with them, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? How's everything going? And then they're really struggling with the, the where they really stand with God now. So uh, let's look at this. First uh, John chapter two, verse one says, my little children. So you'd have to realize that, you know, when God's talking to us here, he's talking to the saved. So you're not a child of God unless you're saved. Uh, so my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. So I get right there is that he's saying, I wrote the entire book. I wrote the entire Bible so that you don't have to waller in your sins. You don't have to keep, you know, falling in the same pit and the same traps that are set all around us. And he's God wants to impart wisdom upon you so that you're able to kind of reroute some of these things and uh, kind of see it coming, you know, and then not fall. So it says, uh, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, there's the question. And if any man sin, well, what if I sin now? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate means that somebody in place of you somebody that's representing you, and that's Jesus. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That means payment, that propitiation right there. So, And he is the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So really what it comes down to is that when we die, we go straight to the Father. And uh, when the Father looks upon you, he better see Jesus. And if he sees Jesus, you're going to heaven. If he sees you, you're in trouble because we're all sinners. And that's really what we have is we have the advocate. We have Jesus that stands in front of us and says, look at me, Father. And he is perfect and sinless and spotless and, and the Lamb of God. And, and I'll tell you what, when we, go to, when we die, that's what better happen is you, you better see Jesus. And how do we get that? We get that through uh, receiving him as your Savior. A sim simple thing. It's not complicated. It's just receiving him and accepting what Jesus Christ did for you and paying for your sins on, upon the cross.
Okay, everybody, <clears throat> we're about at our hour, so we're going to call that a day. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we're going to get back on here next week, and we'll have a list of topics, and uh, we'll uh, we'll fill you in on that and figure out what we're doing. But we hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, download our episodes. Please share them around to anyone that might enjoy them, and uh, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.